This episode is sponsored by Fire and Fuel Coaching, where I help you discover who you are and where you want to go, both on and off the job. For more information, please reach out to me at my Instagram handle at Jerry Fire and Fuel. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Enduring the Badge Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Dean Lund, and I don't want you to miss an upcoming episode, so please hit that subscribe button. And while your phone's out, please do me a favor and give us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It says, hey, this podcast has a great message, and we should send it out to more people. So please take that 30 seconds to a minute to do that review, and just maybe by doing that, it'll push this up into someone's podcast feed that really needs this message. On today's episode, I have the founder and CEO of Within the Trenches Media. He's also the person behind the hashtag IM911. And that hashtag trended worldwide after he made this statement. I heard your last breath the night you flipped your four-wheeler. We're going to go into what that just really means. We're also going to talk about the impact of taking those very difficult calls as a dispatcher and how it takes a toll on your mental health and how you can deal with it. Let's jump right into this episode with Ricardo. How you doing, Ricardo? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing good. We always have these little chats before we start these recordings and stuff like that to get to know each other a little bit better. And then Ricardo mm-hmm. and I were just discussing that, uh, you know, the the weather, which is brutally uh, difficult where he's at currently. And uh, it's just yes. cold where I'm at. He's uh, in the middle of Snowmageddon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The weather is always a good icebreaker. No pun intended there yeah. with that one, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> there's a lot of snow that's coming down right now. That that brightness that you see behind me is not just, uh, you know, daytime. That's a lot of snow that's coming out there. Yeah. <laughs> Ricardo, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. So um, as as uh, Jerry said here, my name is Ricardo Martinez. I'm I'm the uh, founder of Within the Trenches Media, which is uh, it's a media company that's kind of built around public safety and really comes from a, a podcast that I started called Within the Trenches, where I, um, I share stories, dispatch stories, um, you know, the ones that you don't really hear about, but also, you know, it's a therapeutic um, way for those dispatchers to get some of those stories out. Um, I'm also the founder of the uh, I Am 911 movement, which is a movement that was uh, originally, I started to raise awareness of the reclassification issue because uh, 911 dispatchers, as of right now, are classified under the clerical class versus the protective with the rest of uh, public safety as first responders. Um, but it, it quickly turned into peer support. So it was it was a way for dispatchers to anonymously share a lot of their stories, just a glimpse into what it's like uh, to take a phone call. And one of the phone calls that they shared, but also may have had, uh, you know, buried for a long time. So um, there's a lot of different things, as you can see in the back. Uh, and, and for those who are, are listening, who can't see it, though, I've got uh, what some people have said. What's that spaceship that's back yeah. there? And I was like, well, it's not a spaceship. It's it's my print press. So I do screen printing as well. So that you know in a nutshell is uh is what i do yeah it kind of a little bit of jack of all trades i do a few things yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't get a lot of sleep but you know uh, i do a few things um but you know also before that time for 13 and a half years i was a 911 dispatcher and a supervisor right on the line with everybody else yeah why is it so important that we reclassify this position so there's a lot of different um, a lot of different answers out there. Uh, one of the biggest things, really, right now, as it uh, you know pertains to this reclassification, is that recognition that you know we're all part of the same team for years. You know, nine one dispatch has been just kind of put 
on the sideline. Let's say, for example, debriefings. You know, a, yeah. a lot of these big calls that come in, you've got all of public safety in there, except for dispatch. Why is that? Like that, that, that I don't understand. You know, a lot of the conversations early on when I was in dispatch was, well, what do you need to be here for? You were not there. You're not yeah. a first responder. You, you did not respond there. So what would you actually deal with? Well, we are actually, you're field responders. We're, we're first to respond technically on the phone and we're there with those callers throughout the entire call. Right. You might be able to see it and get that closure, but that's not what we get. We don't get that closure. Sometimes if we're able to reach out to someone or someone calls in, they can let us know that. Um, however, a lot of times we don't get that closure and those voices stay in our heads because in our minds, I mean, we, we can, we're piecing together what is going on on the other side, but sometimes what we hear and what is going on is way worse in our head, in our imagination yeah. than what is actually going on out there. So, you know, those stick with us for a long time. I've been out of dispatch for eight years now, but the calls that I've taken, they're specific ones that will always be there. So with this reclassification, you know, there's there's more that comes in there, not just that recognition of being part of that first responder group in the protective class, but eventually, you know, there will be uh, other changes when you talk about different benefits, whether it be retirement or, um, you know, peer support or uh, just other different things, mental health and wellness. There's so much that goes into it. So there's there's a huge answer there, but this is just some of the some of the pieces that that come with that. Yeah, it's it's a job that is probably not appreciated often as much as it should be. I know a lot of times on the air we'll give a thank you or something like that after we're clearing mm -hmm. a call and stuff like that, which is probably not their proper radio etiquette. But I mean, it's it's <laughs> we know it's a hard job, and they do the best they can with what they have. It's just and like you said, and sometimes they do get left out on the on the briefings or you know, they, they dispatch us to a call and they have to jump to another call and have no clue. And that would be really hard because I know how hard it is sometimes for us to transport someone to someone to the hospital. And then we don't get that closure either or what happened. Yeah. You know, what's, what's funny though, is that the few, uh, debriefings that I was, uh, brought in on a few of those, uh, like the fire chief or someone out of EMS or someone would end up saying, wait a minute, you know, why haven't you guys been here since the beginning? Because yeah. you are adding a different aspect to the story that we had no idea about. And, uh, you know, we would sit there and just think, um, that's what we've been wondering as well. <laughs> so once we got in there, you know, and, and started adding this other perspective of that call, um, you were starting to pull people in more and more and, and really bridging that gap between, you know, the beginning of that phone call and when everybody's getting out there. Yeah. I mean, the dispatchers are doing the best they can with the information they have. And sometimes we're like, what, this is, does not make any sense. Like what is going on? And like, I, I have no idea what their information they're getting on the other hand, but we're like, but well, we want perfect information on our side, uh, you yeah. know, going to a call. Why, 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 why can't they do that? Right. And so, so here's, so here's something to think about. So while, while I'm on the phone, I'm listening to not only my caller, but I'm listening to everything that's happening 
in the background of that call, just in case something sounds off. At the same time, I'm listening to the main radio person who's talking with all the responders that are going out there, law enforcement that would be, because I'm also listening to EMS and fire, but I'm listening to that main law enforcement radio so that if they ask a question, I can on the fly just yell it out and and respond while still typing it in for them to get (laughs) it on on their laptop. But yelling it out so they have it at that moment so any other question that they're asking i'm also listening to that so i call it dispatch ear so you're listening to everything that is going on to to get that perfect information (laughs) as fast as possible (laughs) right i know and sometimes we have a mdt that shows like the the notes from dispatch and and you're like what are they trying to say like what were they what they're trying to type in these notes and i'm like guys it's like they we're expecting them to be perfect with their typing and like when they're doing all this other stuff and they surely won't want me on the other end of typing the notes into the system and spitting them out to the, the fire department or police agency. And they'd be like, well, I have no idea what this person is saying from dispatch. Yeah. So and a lot of times we, we put in exactly what the person is saying yeah, because yeah. Uh, some of it, you know, you have someone who's calling in and they're swearing and they're saying, well, this person said this and they're saying exactly what it is. And it's kind of vulgar, but we put it yeah. in there. And and sometimes, you know, people will send messages back. I, I remember people would send messages back saying, why did you put everything in there? Like, that's what they told me. Yeah. So if this goes to court, that's right. exactly what they said. I'm just trying right. to help you. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so it dispatch being like such a forgotten kind of member of the team what do you recommend like that other agencies do to kind of pull them in to be more part of the debriefings or more feel more connected maybe to the departments well you know i think so for a lot of the training that i did uh, especially in the last center that i was in um towards the end of my career it was the center that I grew up in as well, or the county rather, the county that I grew up in, I worked for that that dispatch center. So I was dispatching that county. And uh, so I knew a lot of people. I knew a, a lot of different things that were going on there. But I, I guess to, to bridge that gap even more, um, in training, we do a lot of ride-alongs. So let's let's switch it. You know, yeah. there towards the end of my dispatching <clears throat> career, um, the sheriff's department actually was doing that. They would have some of the newer deputies come in and sit there and really get what it's like. Now, sometimes there wouldn't be anything going on and they would just be <laughs> chilling there like this is it. Like, no, yeah. this is not a true depiction <laughs> of what dispatch is. It hits the fan sometimes and uh, a lot of times and then you don't know. So so then, you know, once that would happen, they'd be just sitting there in awe of what what it's like. So then a lot of those would go back and share that information with their coworkers, and then we would get you know, pulled into a lot more things because they would start to understand that we're not just answering the phone, that there's way more to what it is that we do. And it's not just that we're answering the phone, we're on the radio, we're also trying to eat at the same time, taking extra phone calls, putting people on hold, and just a cycle for hours. Yeah. So once they, uh, they, they get that taste, um, they, they end up, like I said, spreading the word. Like we should pull them in more onto this. So I, I think in a way to to be more part of the team, you know, let's let's bring more of those folks in for either meetings or the the, the debriefings on our end so that you yeah. know what it was like in dispatch during that time. And we can learn more from each other because, you know, we are all good at communications, but when we communicate with each other, 
<laughs> not that great right <laughs> yeah yeah that's always the like number one thing that comes out on i feel like on every call is like communication somewhere along the line we could have communicated better or communications is totally totally broke down mm. to be a dispatcher like you're saying there's a lot of multitasking and we, we talked about typing and answering the phone and stuff like that can anybody be a dispatcher you know, I, I think there's it, it takes a special person. <laughs> I would agree really, with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it takes a special person to be able to do a lot of stuff in public safety, but especially uh, in, in dispatch, um, because there will be some people who will come in and, um, you know, they they feel like they're they're going to be able to just do it and just get in there. And, and they they pick up on the geography, they pick up on the codes, you know, they've got the memorization down. However, when you get to that phone call, and it's real. That's when a lot of people end up saying deuces. Hey, everyone. I want to thank my sponsor, Responder Wipes. They're the best econ wipes on the market, far superior than any others out there. I love how thick and durable these wipes are. They're very safe. You can use them from head to toe and everywhere in between. The wipes are extra wet and leave you feeling fresh and clean. They also can be used as a cooling towel on those incredibly hot days or after an incident that gets you overheated. Please check them out at responderwipes.com and follow them on Instagram. Like, yeah. like nope, yeah. <laughs> this is not for me. And I remember specifically someone coming in. We had one time where we had nine people that were coming in. Like we were very short staffed. And uh, it's still like that now. It's like that everywhere, right? Yeah. It's short staff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but during this time, one of the, the candidates that was coming in, he was related to uh, one of the deputies. And he had been a reserve deputy and, you know, just doing all this other stuff. And he wanted to give dispatch a shot. But the approach was, I've got this. Like, I, I understand everything. I know it's going to be great. And that was one of the people who ended up taking that first phone call and was like, nah, I didn't know that it was going to be like this. Yeah. And so like when I started, I started in 2001, this was central Florida. And I, I ended up visiting my mom and my siblings just for a couple of weeks. It was only going to be like a two week vacation for me. And it ended up turning into a three and a half year stay. I ended up staying there. <laughs> I got my job there. And uh, the thing for me, though, when, when I got started, they were what I the first trainer told me was it takes being human. First off, first and foremost, yeah, being human, basically having common sense and, you know, kind of having that thick skin and just kind of jumping in and doing it. Because when when I went in uh, for that first um interview, I mean, I didn't have any experience or anything with public safety. I only had retail management underneath my belt there. But uh, in a way, customer service, having people pissed off at you sometimes <laughs> when, when it doesn't, when things don't go right for them, you know, that's some, that's some good training there as well for those right. who are on the phone <laughs> and, and are upset or, or going through the, the worst time in their life, you know? So I'm, uh, I'm in Florida. My mom tells me that my cousin, um, her, her husband knows the chief of police and I'm like, Oh, cool. Great for her. And yeah. she's like, no, I'm telling you this because you should try uh, working there, they're they're hiring dispatchers right now. And I remember saying to my mom, um, "I, I've watched Rescue Nine One One. It was one of my favorite shows. I dig William Shatner, but I don't know what they do. <laughs> yeah. Like I have no idea." So I, I went in 
And uh, I, I sat down with the chief and the lieutenant, and they're just firing questions back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And thinking about it now, they were doing it on purpose to see if I could handle the pressure uh, of, yeah. of what was going on. But at the time, I didn't think about that. I just thought, oh, man, I'm pretty awesome. I'm keeping up with them. <laughs> but that's not what it was. You know, there was, there was something else going on there. They were testing me. Um, it took a couple months uh, for me to find out whether I was going to get this job or not. And uh, one one day at home, I was like, I was dozing off. I was having, I was going to take a nap or something. And uh, my grandmother comes into the, to the room and she spoke very, very little English. So she yelled at me in Spanish saying that the police were there. And then she asked me, what did you do? And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, I didn't, do, I, I didn't do anything, I don't think. And so she tells me to go check. And it was the chief of police because I lived right in town, right downtown. And he asked me if I still wanted the job. And I said, well, yeah, I didn't I didn't think I got it because it's been two months since I yeah. was there with you guys. And he goes, well, we just we have a lengthy um, uh, background check and hiring process. And I said, oh, OK. Now, a lot of times you think when you get a new job, you know, you're going to start the following week or whatever, or at least have a few days. So that's what I had asked. And he goes, no, you start tonight. And I, was <laughs> like, and I thought he was joking, but yeah. he wasn't joking. He's like dead in the dead and dead look in my face. And he goes, do you, you want the job, right? And I said, no, 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 I do. And he goes, okay, well, you're working midnight shift tonight. So I went in and that, that first night, um, my trainer, his name was, his first name was Harry, uh, very awesome dude, very seasoned dispatcher. Uh, <laughs> I'll put it that way. He was seasoned and, uh, he showed me everything that was there. Now this is 2001. He showed me all the stuff, what it, what it was for. He took that first 911 call and I observed him. And after that, he goes, it's your turn. Oh, <laughs> and, and I thought this is, he's gotta be lying. And I remember chuckling and he goes, no, I'm serious. And I said, there's nothing else there's no other training. And that's when he told me, he goes, it takes common sense, some thick skin and being human. And you need to just, the more that you do this on the job, it becomes a little bit easier, but this is how you do it. So that first call though, luckily that first call was just, it was, it was like a butt dial. It was a missed dial. So yeah. <laughs> thank the Lord for that. But, um, you know, that was a, that was a long way to answer your question, but still, you know, that's how I started out. And, and really, you know, that's what it takes to be able to do it. So anyone can do it. I mean, it takes a special person to be able yeah. to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. But yeah, my training in the beginning was, was that you got to jump in. Now I did have a 40 hour beginners class, um, later on. And we learned a lot of, a lot of good stuff there that I, that I was, that stuck with me throughout all my time in dispatch, but that's how it was. I just jumped in and yeah, that's pretty, right that's in. pretty crazy for him to show up and say, Hey, you're starting tonight, but awesome right. in a way too. during your time in dispatch, you've had some difficult calls mm -hmm. come in that have kind of, what would you call them? Maybe a little bit life changing or just altering or. Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning, I, you know, I was, it was a, a small police department, small city. Um, in Florida, the city's frost proof. I don't think anyone has ever heard of it. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's in central Florida. And uh, so it, it's a small place. There's like two traffic lights and a McDonald's. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's other stores there, but those yeah. are the main things, you know, you blink and you miss it. Um, 
So a lot of the calls that came in, they were, and especially on 911, the way we did it there, because um, we weren't um, certified to do medicals, okay. we could take the beginning of it and then I would transfer it off to the, the county central dispatch and they would do all of the uh, emergency medical dispatch protocols and all of that, those procedures. So we would get those main things in the beginning and then I would page out uh, for fire rescue. Uh, which that radio, I had to punch in like a five-digit code in order to make the <laughs> the tones go off, which was the craziest thing, um, especially because it was 2001. Yeah. But again, <laughs> small police department, it's not all state-of-the-art stuff. So um, when I was uh, getting ready to be done with training, it was actually the it was actually the first day that I was going to be on my own. I remember the uh, the chief of police, he's getting ready to leave, <clears throat> and he says to me. Um, you think you're going to be able to do this? You got this. And I said, man, I got you. Like, yeah, of course. They said, I, I, you guys have been trained me well. Everything is going to be fine. I said, besides, you listen to the scanner all the time. <laughs> live just down the road. So if you hear me struggling, I know you will be here. And he started laughing and he goes, okay, okay. He goes, all right. And so we were just kind of talking a little bit and he was getting ready to leave. And we hear a car screech up. Now, this small police department, you open the door and it's just a little lobby area and then um, like a thin pane of glass and it's me on the other side. <laughs> so <laughs> um, you could hear everything and you the, the person gets out of their car. You hear the door open from the car and just screaming, just screaming. And I remember the both of us just kind of looking at each other and thinking, what the hell is going on? And then the door yanks open to the PD and this lady runs in. Now, again, as I said, this, this is a small city. So everyone knows the chief of police and he pretty much knows everyone. And she comes in and she's just yelling and screaming and he kind of grabs her by the arms a little bit. And is just like, what's going on? What's going on? And she just keeps yelling. I found him. I found him. And that in that moment for me, I thought, God, you know, I, I thought my first high priority call was going to be on the phone oh, yeah. because that's my job. You know, that's, that's where it happens is on the phone, but this is face to face. This is right in front of me going on right now. And he knew where she lived. She was just across the street diagonal from where we were at. So I toned out for, uh, for the officer who was working at the time to go out there. He was going to, the, the chief was going to go accompany him. And uh, we had fire rescue and, and medical that was going to stage in the area. So what had happened was the, the lady and, and her husband, they were separated at the time. And uh, they were trying to figure out whether they wanted to continue their marriage. And she had decided, yes. I want to continue our marriage. I, I want to make this work. So she goes back to their home and she found that her husband had hung himself. Oh man. And, uh, and he, he didn't make it. I'm not sure how long he was there, but the chief is there with the, with everyone else. And she's sitting in the lobby and I'm there. So what do you do next? Well, you, you be human, right? Just like right, the trainer right, yeah, had yeah. said, be human. So I, I go out to the front of the lobby and I stood there with her and I, I asked her if there was anyone that she wanted me to call for her. And uh, she said, yes, you know, she had some family. So the family came and they were with her. And then, uh, you know, they left a little bit after that. So the chief and uh, the officer come back 
And uh, I'm just, I'm there like, you know, 911 doesn't stop. So I'm just, I continue with calls and calls, but at the same time, I'm still thinking about this, this whole thing that just happened. Now, obviously I had closure. I knew what happened. However, there was, there was still something that was bothering me and like, why, like what, what else was it that, that made this person just want to go that far? And so it would, that was just kind of bothering me. And I remember the, uh, the deputy who had been out there or officer rather who had been out there, um, he was in back with me and he had the suicide note and I kept trying to kind of glance at it. And, uh, and he noticed, and he said, do you want to read it? And I said, yeah, I said, I do. And it was the weirdest thing because I've I'd never had something like that happen before. And I'm trying to process all of this, right? I'm a new dispatcher. I'm on my own. And it's not, they don't tell you this, you know, they, you go through all types of training, but at least back then, now it's different. But back then when I had started, no one told me you're going to have to deal with this or how to deal with this. Yeah. It was just, you're going to be taking these calls and, uh, you know, however you deal with it is, is how you deal with it. So for me, it, I knew it was going to help me feel a little better. Just, I guess, knowing that part of the story. So basically what the, what the note said was that, um, he was, he was heartbroken and he loved his wife and his kids very much, but that he couldn't go on living knowing that they were no longer going to be together, that he wished oh, wow. that it would have worked out. <clears throat> and after I read that, man, all I could think was if you would have, if you could have waited just a few minutes longer, I wouldn't be telling this story. Yeah. You'd, yeah. you'd, you'd end up making it. And I just, I, I, my heart just sank and I was just there and I gave him back the letter and uh, I just said, thanks. And uh, it was that moment that, you know, I really knew what it was that I had gotten into because I hadn't had any calls like that yet, but that was the biggest one. And it was on my first day of being on my own after training. Yeah. Wow. That, that would be a lot to deal with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially when I think in our minds, we set ourselves up for like, Oh, we're expecting things to happen this way and we're prepared for that. But when they don't happen that way, we're taken a little bit off guard and I think it impacts us a little bit more. It's right. su suicide is just, it's, you always wonder what led up to the person taking their lives. Like what pushed them to that, that point. And I, I could never be in anybody else's shoes. I have, you know, have my own story, but it just, it's, it's hard. It's hard because you see things like this happen or super young people taking their lives. And you're like, mm -hmm. man, what, what was going on in your, in your mind that made you get to this point? And, you know, I obviously, as a world, as a community, we definitely need to start doing, doing better. And it sounds like you're working on some things too, to, to help dispatchers to better their lives and maintain their optimal mental health. What else are you doing out there for them? Yeah. So, you know, for, for me, a lot of these calls in the beginning, um, I didn't know what to do with them. I, I, I didn't know how to, uh, know, handle a lot of it. I was bearing those calls. That's, that's the dispatcher that I was in the beginning. I was bearing my claws. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't talking to anyone about it, but also there wasn't anyone else talking about it because nobody wants to look weak, right? Yeah, you don't, yeah. you don't want to be the one who is asking for help and others say, Oh, he can't hack it, you know? And so it, it's, again, it's a lot different now, but in the beginning, you know, I, I was holding those in and 
you know, I was thinking that I was leaving all of this at work and coming home and everything being fine. But obviously that wasn't, it was not the case. And a lot of people, you know, that say, and it's not the same for everyone, but there are a lot of people who say just like me that I was leaving it at work. However, um, that was BS because, you know, there's so many other things that happen when you're at home, whether it be being distant or being snippy with people. And and why is that? Why does that happen? And we don't always want to look in the mirror, right? And realize, right. oh, you're the problem. Me, I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah. And uh, so uh, there was a lot of different things that I ended up going through that finally allowed me to start getting these stories out. So, um, you know, I end up leaving um, Florida. I moved back home to Southwest Michigan and I ended up dispatching in the county that I grew up in. And I knew everyone pretty much on the West side, the East side, not so much, but the West side, I knew a lot of people because that's where I grew up. And when my, when my grandmother passed away, I was the one who took that phone call. And I remember that, um, that night, like she was in hospice care. So we knew she was going to be passing away. You know, it wasn't anything sudden, but what are the odds that I am going to be the one who takes that call? Right. Um, I'm working backup phones and backup radios. And uh, um, I remember my partner on main phones ends up saying, yeah, I'm going to go to, this is about three in the morning. And she says, I'm going to go to the uh, break room to get something. I said, yeah, go ahead. There's nothing going on anyway, which is inviting something to happen. Right? <laughs> right, <laughs> you right. put that out in the universe. And, <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's, all right, we'll make something happen for yeah. you. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, she ends up going and, and no later did the door shut to the break room, the phone rang. Now, I, I, I never hesitate to pick up the phone and our old phone system uh, that we had, they, they have a different one there now, but the one that we had, if the phone rings and you pick up the handset right away, um, you can hear everything like a speakerphone mode that's going on. So if you would pick up that phone and it was like a domestic or a medical and people are screaming, everybody was at alert. Everybody knew because they could hear that. Well, if you waited just for one ring, um, all the information would show up on the screen. And for whatever reason, when that phone rang, like the hair in the back of my neck stood up, it just <clears> felt <throat> different. And I waited to see the information on the screen. And it was my mom's cell phone number. It was a Florida number. And I picked it up and, you know, I, I said, uh, elegant 911, where's your emergency? And my cousin, uh, it was her voice. And she says, Richie, cause my family called me Richie. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, it is. And she goes, grandma just died. And I just I remember my heart sank, but also thinking at the same time, again, what are the odds that I would be the one to take this call? Yeah. It was, yeah. It was almost, it was, it was fitting like it was meant to be. And so I, I went through everything I had to do. I got to leave and uh, go be with my family. But, you know, my, my grandmother had been with my parents um, since before my siblings and I were born. So when I was born, she was there. So it just seemed fitting though. And in a perfect ending that because she was there for me in the beginning, I would be there for mm-hmm. her at the end. Yeah. And all of this, just started building up inside me. And, and I thought there's gotta be a way for me to get this out. So I ended up, you know, kind of going through a burnout stage and I, I loved what I was doing completely loved it. But with County politics, 
as a lot of people know, and, uh, and, and other things going on, it was just kind of made for a toxic environment a little bit. You know, the morale was down. Uh, we were short staffed, like everything was just crazy. So I was trying to find a way to rekindle this love for 911 that I had. And I went back to school. And uh, during that time, I ended up getting uh, three different degrees. And all of the main projects that I was doing um, had to do with public safety. It had to do with 911. And it also helped me to get my stories out. So I started blogging. And when I started blogging, um, I was I was sharing stories. I was sharing my calls. And I remember telling my deputy director what I was going to do. And I was a supervisor at the time. And she goes, no, don't do that. You probably shouldn't do that because we're going to get sued. And I said, well, I was there too. I was part of that call. And really all I'm doing is sharing my side, what it was like I'm trying to get this out. I said, it's been yeah. therapeutic for me to do this. And I think people will get something out of it as well. I'm not using any names, addresses, nothing like that. And she still said no. And I remember I le- I was walking out and then I poked my head back into her office. And I said, didn't you tell us last week in our supervisors <laughs> meeting that you guys can't regulate our feelings online? And she goes, well, yeah. And I said, well, thank you. That's all I needed. <laughs> so <laughs> I started I started blogging about it. And, 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 and sharing um, my experience and people started reading it and they were getting stuff out of it. They were learning. They were also learning that if you call 911 and I put you on hold, it's not because I don't want to help you. It's because 911 doesn't stop and your emergency isn't the only emergency going on. Yeah. And so it was, it was helping. And then other dispatchers were getting into it as well. And then uh, in my, my master's of new media journalism, they introduced us into podcasting. And I fell in love with that form of storytelling. And I thought, you know, if I can share my story and it be therapeutic, maybe it'll help others as well. So right, dispatchers right. were coming on. They were sharing their stories. And it, it just there was so much that was coming in uh, or coming from it rather. And, and some of the deputies, one of them specifically who is, he's a former Marine and just real, you know, tough gruff type person. And, uh, and he would be that way with us on the radio or on the phone. And I remember he sent me a message over the, uh, the M- his MCT. And he says, you know, man, he says, you need to keep doing what you're doing. He said, because I learned more about dispatch in these first three episodes than I ever knew in the 20 years that I've been doing this, keep doing it. And I thought, if I can reach him, <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, then there's it has to be something more that's going on. So, you know, to, to answer uh, what it is that I'm doing, it, it's been that. It's been helping dispatchers share their stories, whether it be on the podcast or anonymously through uh, the I am 91 movement. It was, it was a movement that I started, as I said earlier, that started in 2016 um, as, as part of a way to raise awareness for um, that reclassification issue, but quickly turned into peer support because there were dispatchers who were sending in messages saying, I have been holding in this call for so long, and now I have an outlet to be able to do it anonymously. And it has helped immensely to be able to do this. Thank you. Another person said that their hands were still shaking after typing the story because that call had been just plaguing them for so long and they finally got it out and they felt good. And it's, it it felt good to be able to give back in that sense, to give uh, dispatchers some sort of platform to share those stories that they've been holding on for so long. When you hold on to a story that long, what kind of like 
internal, I want to say damage, but that's not really not the right word. Like what kind of internal struggles are going on when you're holding in those, those stories like that? So let me give you a good example. And this one has to do with the trigger. Because uh, a lot of us have those and we don't realize that we've been holding on to something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> holding on to something until it happens. So as I, so 2016, I'm in Florida for a, a national public safety conference. Uh, well, for 911 and, and such. And um, this whole reclassification issue had really hit a peak. But one of the things that I saw um, that these two main organizations for 911 were were asking for were like some sort of stories to go along with this to somehow raise awareness. And I thought, well, I've been telling stories for a few <laughs> years now. So maybe I'm going to insert myself into this battle, but I want to do it a different way. Like I want it to be raw. I want it to be eye-opening. And I want to share a glimpse into one story, uh, one call that I had and uh, see if other dispatchers will do it as well. And that's where the I am 911 movement was born is hashtag I am 911. And the, the first one that I put out there, and it was, it was one of my calls and it just simply said, I heard your last breath the night you flipped your four wheeler hashtag I am 911. And, and it was a meme. It was, it was, you know, just, it, it was dark. It was a uh, nighttime and it was a full moon and it. And I had that on there and I asked other dispatchers to do the same thing. And, uh, they did. They were sharing stories like it exploded. It was enough to where it ended up going around the world where it wasn't just us sharing. I am 911. Those in Canada were sharing their 911 as well, but they were sharing their stories. And then um, it, it, it ended up going over to the UK and they were they were sharing theirs with their call sign uh, or their phone number. I am 999 and then New Zealand, I am 111 in Australia, I am 000. So people were sharing and sharing stories. It was like the whole thin gold line unified to share these stories, to show what it is that we go through. And it just, it, it exploded and it's been going on ever since sharing these stories. But a few days later, after I started this, um, at, during that time, Stranger Things was a big show that was going on, right, on, on Netflix. It was season one, and I was binging it like crazy. <laughs> and for what I, if you haven't watched it yet, for this, this one episode, I won't say which episode, but one of the episodes, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> there's, there was a part where the, the sheriff is helping out the, the mom of, like, the, the kid that goes missing. And when they find him, he's laying there unconscious. And the, uh, the sheriff is giving him CPR and I am bawling, like just crying. And I'm, I'm, I've got my hand cause everybody was asleep. This was late at night. So everyone is asleep and I'm trying not to wake anybody up, but I'm like kind of biting my hand. And, and, but then I'm, I'm thinking at the same time, why am I crying right now? Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a hard scene and everything, but what is going on? What is deeper that's going on here? Well, then I realized that call that I shared, I heard your last breath the night you flipped your four-wheeler. When I was taking that call, I was helping the parents with their teenager to do CPR. And I could hear on the main law enforcement radio, the deputy, the first deputy who showed up there as medical is trying to get out there. And I hear him over the radio as he's running 
saying I'm on scene, I'm running to them now. And then I couldn't put the phone down. Like the, the, the parents had put the phone down and I was just listening and I hear the deputy get there and he starts saying, come on, buddy, come on, come on. Well, in that scene of that show, he's doing the exact same thing. Wow. And I'm watching this play out as I'm remembering that call that happened. And as you were asking, you know, what is, what is that like? What is it that, you know, that that's really going on, you know, mentally and emotionally and everything when you're holding on to a call, I didn't realize that that call had affected me that much or that there was that much impact until that moment. So I had been holding that in, I shared a glimpse and then that glimpse and watching that really brought it back. And yeah. I, I, it was, I'm, I'm glad that it happened because I'm, I'm able to share that story with so many other dispatchers now to say, if you're holding in some of these calls, if you haven't, you know, shared them with anyone or written them down, at least this might happen. You might end up having some sort of trigger and you're not going to know why. Yeah. But you eventually will like, like me, like I just, I didn't know. I didn't know why I was bawling. And then I realized, oh, I'm watching this call that I had taken play out right in front of me. And it, and it hit me hard. I I would be surprised if, excuse me, that if anybody as a first responder didn't have any triggers. Right. (laughs) Quite honestly. I mean, I, excuse me. Um, yeah, I mean, I have my own too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's really big, just the screaming of a parent or children sometimes just takes me back to a lot of those, a lot of those calls. And most of the mm-hmm. time those calls are happen to be suicide calls or parents found their, you know, their son or, or daughter, like, you know, from a hanging or something like that. And just that screaming and crying and commotion, you know, if I hear that at home, sometimes it's like, it takes me right back to a lot of those a lot of those calls for a split second and it's just, it's hard. It's, you know, and you go through therapy and, you know, do different, different types of things, but I don't know if that type of stuff will ever really leave. I think it lessens as it probably as you distance yourself from, you know, your job and stuff, it might lessen, but I think there's, there's still be there to some, some degree. Yeah. So I was, and I think for me too, it's because I, I'm still, you know, doing things in public safety. Like my my dispatch career was 13 and a half years, but full time, full all around in public safety altogether has been about 20 years now that I have, which is something that I never thought that that I would be doing. But um it's it's been it's been really good uh to be able to do all of this. Um, you know, there's there are there are some good triggers as well on, on some of these. And, um, you know, one, one of the calls I I taken once, um, Oh, well, before I say the call, let me, let me, let me preface this with a little more information. So during my time in dispatch, I was dealing with a lot of neck pain and back pain. And I mean, we're sitting there forever and, and sometimes we don't get a chance to get up and walk around when, when you do get a chance, it's usually either to use the bathroom or get something to eat. And that's about it. But, um, I I was dealing with a lot of this, uh, uh, this back pain and neck pain, and I could not get it to go away. And I, I wasn't, I was trying to figure everything out that I could do. And finally, um, something that I, that I ended up doing that I never thought I was going to do, but also because I was it was my own fear that I was going to be made fun of if I did a pose wrong. And it was yoga. 
I, I got into yoga and just one session of yoga, that first session alleviated me of that pain that I was having. And it was amazing. And, uh, you know, I've been practicing it ever since. So, um, I also feel like a lot of experiences that we've had in our lives can also help in certain situations. Some of those calls that I have taken, I feel like those were meant for me because whatever I might have dealt with or experienced in my life in the past or whichever also helped me with those calls because I was able to relate to those people a little more than somebody else who might not have had that experience. So I ended up getting this phone call and this this lady is suicidal and she's telling me about all this back pain that she's been having and that it's just so horrible and debilitating that she, she just, she doesn't want to live anymore. Nothing helps. She doesn't want to live anymore. And I remember I had a trainer and I, I, I would observe some of his phone calls and whenever he would have a suicidal caller with him, he would be human. He would start asking questions like, what is your favorite music? What are your favorite movies? And, you know, just kind of relating and talking until help got there to get their mind off of what they wanted to do. So I did the same thing and I, I took a shot and I told her about my back pain, about my neck pain that I could relate to her. And she asked me what I did to, to help. And I told her about yoga and we were just talking about it and help got there. <laughs> And uh, at the at the very end, she said, thank you for the information and that she didn't want to kill herself anymore, that now she had a different option, a different path. And every time I practice yoga, I think about that person. That's a good trigger. Yeah, that is. That is. I'm glad you brought that up. That is that is a great trigger. And that is that right. You're, you're the perfect example, like you're talking about of just being human and just some people just need empathy. Like they're having a medical problem and the biggest thing they need is just your empathy. And that can just take them from the state of wherever they're in to a different state, a more a better state. I've, I've seen it happen quite often. Some, some people are way better at it than others, but yeah, <clears throat> I think empathy goes a long, long ways. Yeah. And yoga is awesome. Like it's, it's, it's great for so many different things, your breath work, you know, the flexibility and just being present in that moment. Do you, by chance, have you read the book, uh, your body keeps a score? No, but tell me about this. It, it's, it's a really <laughs> long book. It's like 16 yeah. hours on audible, but mm -hmm. it's basically how your body holds the different, uh, traumas that you go through. So that back and neck pain could be contributed to some of the other traumas that you've been through, not actual physical traumas, but like mostly right. emotional traumas and your body is finding that spot to hold that pain until you work kind of through the, the, uh, emotional aspect of it. And then your body kind of just releases, releases that. Oh, it's, it's, amazing. It's, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I, I do, I do really do believe that there's a lot of science coming out about that. It's like, you get that adrenaline rush. And then what does your body do with that adrenaline? Especially if you get like that adrenal rush and it's like, oh, cancel call, or it's no big deal. Or maybe you have it. If I was a dispatcher, I mean, the first, every time I answer the phone, I'd be like, hello. And then I'd have this adrenaline rush, you know, going, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> so I think it's just, it's, there's a lot of science that's out there that I wish I'd just start moving forward into more of a acceptable mainstream by first responders. My, I, my biggest goal. And I, I think part of, part of your, you are too, is just like, mm -hmm have these people 
you know, they're in these careers have long, healthy careers and we have a long and healthy career, your service to the community and to your family and to everybody else is so much better. Yeah, no, I, and, and I, I believe it too, man. There's, there's a lot that I've done, especially as you're talking about that breath work that was, and if I could go back in time and talk to myself, I would tell myself to get into that way sooner yeah. because, um, having that, that ability and well, and learning about breath work, it helped keep me even more calm on the phone while chaos, complete chaos is going on on the other end. And, uh, and just, you know, as we were kind of talking a little bit, you know, when, when you have someone ca- calling in, just the tone of your voice can completely change that call. Oh, yeah. And, and I know a lot of people watching and listening this, you know, you've, you've seen a lot of, uh, you know, news stories where someone is just being a jerk on the phone. <laughs> and, uh, you, but, you know, some of the, some of those that, that I end up hearing about, like, I, I, it makes me wonder, though, not that it's any excuse at all for anyone being rude on the phone, but I always wonder about what call they took after or before that one call that was the bad one, because you never know. And again, not that it's an excuse or anything, but that person could have been giving CPR on someone's infant and that infant didn't make it. And we don't get a break. You go on to the next one. Again, that's not an excuse at all because there's no excuse for anyone being rude on the phone. But again, it just in that tone, man, just the tone of voice, that could be the first time someone is calling. And if you have a crappy tone, they're probably never going to call again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just was thinking about some of those things that you're just saying that we expect everybody to be so perfect and we want to be perfect on every mm-hmm. call or answering every phone call and things like that. But yeah, it's like what happened to the call before, or maybe what happened to that person before they came to work. We're human too. We have all those same struggles that anybody has in their households or out of their households. We have those too. And we try our best to bring our best us to every call and every, you know, answer every phone call and things like that. But sometimes, you know, it, it you, you just don't, you just don't bring it. I don't know. Like, like <laughs> I said, it, and I think it's just, there's so much pressure to be perfect in this, in these career fields that sometimes it's hard to live up to that pressure of trying to be perfect on every call or answering every phone call. Yeah. So here's, here's a, here's a story for you. Um, as you talk about wanting to be perfect on every call, this was probably the last week I was in dispatch and man, it felt like the dispatch gods were hitting me. Like you're, you're out the door. Okay. We're going to hit you with every bad call. That's (laughs) that's that we can get you with. And this call started out as just a, it was a disorderly subject. Everything was for a disorderly complaint. But at the very end, my caller says, I think he's suicidal as well. Um, that information maybe you should have told me first <laughs> because yeah. that completely changes the call, right? right? It completely changes it, the response, everything. So I already had the person's name, the, the car, you know, description, phone number, everything. I hang up with her and I, I yell out. I think my, my, the person that we're looking for is suicidal. I'm going to try to call him. And it was so busy in there. Um, I, I call this person and it's ringing and ringing and another call comes in and it's ringing and it's ringing and I'm looking around and it's so busy. Nobody can, nobody can take it because we were right at shift change. And for whatever reason, it seems like people sometimes <laughs> wait until they get out of work for all hell to break loose. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to get a hold of this person 
And uh, finally, I, I I hang up and pick up the line that had had already rung like three or four times, and uh, you know I said my thing, and and the person says I just saw a vehicle run itself right into a tree, oh. and I thought, oh God, please don't be the person that I was trying to call just now. And I asked, you know, I got the location and everything, and I'm looking at the map, and it's not far from the house where this call, the first call originated. And uh, I asked if the person could safely go up to see if the person was okay. And because uh, you don't, you don't ever want to create more victims or anything, right? You don't want right, to put anybody right. else in danger. So I was asking the person, if it's safe enough, can you go and see if this person is okay? And then give me more information. And I remember the person saying, sir, I don't, I don't think there's any way that this person could have lived through this because, but I'll go look, I, I can, I can look, there's no flames or nothing like that. And I said, what kind of car is it? And when he said it, I remember I lipped it and it was a blue Toyota Tercel. And I thought, crap, I, I think this is the person. And uh, so I end up, you know, we end up switching and they get out there. And sure enough, it was, it was the person that I was trying to call to get over there. And that one messed me up enough that I was second guessing everything that I, I had asked, you know, did I have enough time? So it was enough that I took almost 30 minutes. I was a supervisor, so and I had backup. So everybody was doing other calls and everything else. And I had enough time um, to look at the map. I was mapping it out. And I was seeing how, the, you know, the distance, the time that I ended up calling. Like, would I have had a chance to get to that person to stop what happened? And it messed me up. Cause I just kept going back and forth and back and forth. And finally, you know, speaking to other people as well, there's nothing I could have done. The person was already going, probably going into the tree as I was calling the person, you know, that they, they never even got the call because it was yeah. already, it had already happened, but it, it took me a while to, to get through that and, and really try to uh, get in my head that there was nothing else I could do. Yeah, that would be hard. There's probably a lot of situations as a dispatcher that may happen like that over your career. It seems mm -hmm. like where you just try to do as much as you can, but you can't just act fast enough or can't stop somebody from, you know, their, their plan of, of doing what they want to do. What do you recommend for dispatchers to, to do when they're struggling with, you know, a call like that? You know, definitely. Yeah, uh, reach out. You know that that stigma is still there a little bit of people not wanting to uh, to look weak, um, but it's not weak when you're when you're asking for help. There's actually courage in that because you wh whatever you do will end up rubbing off on others, and they'll see. Okay, they were strong enough to ask for help. It it is okay not to be okay. We we can do this. Like in in support of each other, we can find some sort of healing and comfort in. Um, in sharing stories, you know, that's the first step to healing really is opening up and sharing that story it, for me. Um, and, and again, it might not be like this for everyone, but from my experience, me personally, but also talking with people over the years, since doing everything that I do, that has been the first step is, is talking with someone, whether it be a family member or someone who you work with, especially someone that you work with, because they understand it more. Unless, of course, your family member is from public safety, then they then they <laughs> yeah. know. But, you know, for me, talking to family, 
I would share a story and they would just kind of sit there like, what do I say next? Like, oh, I'm sorry. Or, oh, that's okay. And then, you know, I'm just kind of there like, all right, yeah, <laughs> we move on. But, you know, one of the biggest things is to share that story, to be able to open up. And as you asked earlier, so one of the other things that I'm doing uh, to help dispatchers is I have a uh, a session that I do at conferences. I've done this virtually as well. Um, however, uh, at conferences, I started this in 2017. And it's it's a session that's called Imagine Listening because it's exactly what I want people to do is imagine listening to something like this. So it's, it's imagine listening. Your worst days are every day. And it's, it's with a, it's with a live audience. It's, it's also a podcast episode, but it's just their voices, no names, nothing like that, because these stories are so powerful and impactful. A lot of people have been learning from them. So I give dispatcher the opportunity to, to share one of their, I am 911 stories. And they get to either say it out loud or they can write it down and I read it for them. And I can't, I can't even explain what it is like to be in there with a few hundred people sharing stories, stories that people have held in for such a long time. However, knowing that they're in a safe place and that those that they're sharing with, they know exactly what it is like. And, you know, there are some people who are there that don't share any stories at all and it's fine. They're there in support of their coworkers, their thin gold line family. And, but it's only for the first 30 minutes. It's an hour long <laughs> yeah. session, but <laughs> it's only for the first 30 minutes because the last 30 minutes is open mic. And that's where we share all the funny and outrageous 911 stuff that happens, whether it be incidents that happen to us in the center or, you know, funny phone calls that happen. And it's not about, you know, making fun of any callers or anything like that. It's just, it's the situation because in 911, a lot of things, as you know, are things where you think, is this real life? Like, is this really happening right yeah, now? Yeah. There is, there is a lot of good in 911 and public safety. And, and that's what that part is, is we start out emotionally intense, but then we end with the funny stuff. So when we leave from there, you know, you, you feel good and, 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 you know, prideful about the job that you do, because not a lot of people can do it. So imagine listening is one of the big things. But um, I, I do open mic uh, on a live broadcast as well, where dispatchers come in, I check in with them. How are you doing on a scale of one to 10? We share funny stories and, and we move on. So there's, 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 uh, um, you know, power in storytelling. Yes, but also uh, laughter is good medicine. Yeah. And, Sometimes you, you got to do it. You got to find some sort of humor in, uh, you know, in what we do or else you might not make it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I do like that setup. I think that's great. <clears throat> Dump some feelings out and then laugh a little. That is, a, that is some great medicine and it's some informal medicine that happens at, you know, the fire department around the dinner table or at lunchtime that, that type of things happen as, as well, which is super cool. That's always fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you can, the other people can relate, you know, that you're sharing the stories with and it's just, it's really, I think it's like an informal debriefing sometimes of a yeah. call. Like it's just, and since it's not so formal that people can just say what they want and joke a little bit and stuff, but I think that's just a good way for first responders to deal with that. Yeah. I, I, I love it. It's, it's all about that power and storytelling and, and a lot of people, um, you know, they, they feel like their story doesn't either, it doesn't matter or they don't have anything to say. And I remember I was in Illinois once and I had given my, 
uh, my keynote and I was talking about, uh, or no, it was the Imagine Listening session. I was a closing speaker. I hadn't done it yet. Um, it was a, the Imagine Listening. It was in the middle of the conference. And I remember seeing this girl who was sitting up front and she was kind of, you know, kind of laughing. She was, you know, emotional, you know, during the emotional part and everything. And she didn't share a story at all. Again, which is fine. Just having that person there in support is is really good. And I went back into the uh, the vendor hall where I had set up with the podcast, and I, I have attendees come in and share their stories and everything. And uh, she she sat down with me, and we we didn't record an episode, but she sat down and she goes, you know, I feel like there's something wrong with me because I I, I didn't have a story to 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 share. Like I I'm not like everyone else, I guess. I, I don't keep any of that stuff bottled up. I didn't have anything. And I said, well, it's okay. You know, you were there in support of everyone. It was fine. We sat there for a little over an hour and she shared four or five hard stories. And at the end she goes, so yeah, I, I kind of, I just kind of feel like, you know, I, maybe I'm different. I don't have a lot to share. <laughs> and I said, do you realize what we just did right now? I said, you just shared with me all of these stories and how do you feel? And she goes, I didn't even realize that. How long have we been talking here? And I told <laughs> yeah. her and she goes, well, I guess I did have something to talk about. Because <laughs> I, I do feel good. She goes, I was able to talk about things. And uh, I, I guess I, I'd say that because I just want everyone to know that we all have a story to share. Yeah. And, and it's an important one. It can be impactful and powerful. And you have no idea who will get something out of that. It's, it's right. powerful. Right. Right. There's a lot of good to it. Yeah, it's true. We all do. We all do have stories and we're all currently living one and building one. And as, mm -hmm. as we go along through in life, Ricardo, where can people find you? So they, so if dispatchers are listening to this, that they could look towards you for some more help. For sure. Yeah. So um, they can find everything on within the trenches.net. It's the, it's the main, um, it's the main website. Everything is on there for, for the podcast and all uh, within the trenches podcast uh, that can be found on Apple podcasts and, and really just anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find it there. But um, yeah, everything will be on that website. I'm on social media all over the place. And uh, my email is on there as well. So it's wttpodcast at gmail.com. And for those with phonetics, it's William Tom Tom podcast at gmail.com, <laughs> just in case the T yeah. sound like a D. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's where everyone can find everything that I'm doing. You know, I, I do a live broadcast as I was mentioning um, on, on Facebook, actually on all social media for open mic. And that's every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. We have people come on and they share their funny 911 stories. Sometimes I share some of the funny personal stories that I that I've had <laughs> growing up and all. But um, it, it's it's been a really great experience. And again, in the beginning, I, I never would have thought that I'm doing everything that it is that I'm doing now, but it's been an amazing experience. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Really and, and I appreciate you doing that. That's awesome. I think like we talked about in the very beginning, this is dispatchers are really under just underappreciated mm -hmm. and, and forgotten in a, in a lot of ways. So I appreciate you doing what you're doing for them because I, I have some friends that are dispatchers and right. You want the very best for them to, for sure. You know, for their, so like they can have a long career because when dispatchers have a long career, right. They make our jobs on the other side so much easier yes. as the responders. Especially well, when you hear that familiar voice and you're going in for your shift and you know, everything's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ricardo, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hey, everyone. Please check out my very own apparel line, Fire and Fuel Apparel. There you will find a wide array of apparel honoring first responders that can be shipped worldwide. Please give me a follow on Instagram, too. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you access your podcast. If you know someone that would be great on the show, please get a hold of our host, Jerry Dean Lund, through the Instagram handles at Jerry Fire and Fuel or at Enduring the Badge Podcast. Also, by visiting the show's website, EnduringTheBadgePodcast.com for additional methods of contact and up-to-date information regarding the show. Remember, the views and opinions expressed during the show solely represent those of our hosts and the current episode's guests. This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support